I want to uh, bring you to the story of Moses. Um, when we had the lockdown, I thought God drew my attention to the story of Moses, and I got down to writing a book about it, and I found I'm really drawn into this story. So Exodus chapter 4, I'm going to read with you. It's quite a long chapter, but I want to read it through. It'll help to kind of set the scene. You may recall that the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, were in slavery and uh, real terrible bondage. It looked like they were all going to be slaughtered. At least the firstborn of each family was going to be slaughtered. And in the midst of that, Moses gets born. Not a good time to be born, I don't think, but he was born into a believing home, and uh, his parents supernaturally cared for him and looked after him. Uh, and we'll look at some of that story, but now God's program's moving on, and he's going to deliver what has become two million people uh, in Egypt, the Jewish nation within Egypt. He's going to call them out. And to do that, God is going to use a person. He always raises up somebody whom he will work through. The Bible's full of characters, men and women, that God raises up and uses uh, to challenge and release other people. And here we get the story of Moses, the extraordinary call. He's looking after a few sheep, and uh, he one day sees this, this bush that's burning, and it's on, on fire, but it's not going up in smoke. It keeps on burning and glowing with a kind of divine glory. And he investigates. Uh, it's one of this is happening here, and out of the... Out of this bush comes a voice, and God's calling him. I've called you, Moses. Uh, and Moses said, well, who, who am I? And God kind of says, it doesn't really matter who you are. I am that I am. I'm enough for you, and I'm going to use you to bring this nation out. And it's one of the most glorious calls in the, in the Bible, one of the most glorious revelations of the majesty of God coming to a human being, inviting him uh, to serve him, to be part of his purpose and Moses' reply is pathetic. Uh, and we're going to read about that pathetic uh, reply. And uh, maybe we'll find ourselves there, because sometimes we're not too impressive with our replies. So let's just see what we read here in Exodus 4. Moses said, what if they won't believe me? Or listen to what I say. For then they say, the Lord hasn't appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand, caught it. It became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand in his cloak. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. He said, put your hand in your cloak again. So he put his hand in his cloak again. When he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they'll not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they won't believe even the two signs or heed what you say, then she'll take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water which you pour from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, 
neither recently nor in time past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you're to say. But he said, please, Lord, send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. Moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now you're to speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth. I will teach you what you're to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people. He shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be as God to him. You shall take in your hand the staff with which I've, you shall perform the signs. Then Moses departed, returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, please let me go, that I may return to my brothers who are in Egypt and see if they're still alive. Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife, his sons, mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power, but I will harden his heart. He'll not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me, but you've refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your firstborn. Now it came about at a lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You're a, indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. At that time, she said, You're a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, go and meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him, and all the signs that had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he performed the sign in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, these things are written down for our instruction. We pray you'll give us revelation of your truth. Thank you for your promise. You give the spirit to those who ask. So, Father, right now we ask for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. We may hear you in our hearts. We might be helped by truth, set free by your word. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. So here we get the story of a very reluctant man who doesn't want to serve God, doesn't want to get involved. And uh, I want to see why. What was the reason behind that? Because it's relevant to us because so often when we feel perhaps God is making fresh overtures to us, he's inviting us to get involved in something, we're not always quick to say, yes, of course. Uh, We sometimes want to back off. Sometimes we say, no, um, not, not for me, thank you. And I want to suggest to you that the reason Moses was reluctant to let God do whatever he liked with him was that Moses had tried before. Moses couldn't present God with a, a kind of clean sheet and say, right, write the story. There's already, already writing on his story. There's crossings out and blots. He's, he's tried before and it didn't work. And so God is coming afresh and saying, look, come on, I want to use you. And he's saying, no, thank you. And often that's the case with us. We, we feel, well, really, I, I tried before. It doesn't work for me. I, I, I stepped out. Maybe, maybe you stepped out. I know for myself as a young Christian, freshly filled with the Spirit, begin to see new things happen, so excited. And, and then my dear friend and his wife had a, a little girl, Christina, and, and, and she lived 13 weeks. And she was a terribly sickly baby from the beginning. And I remember once I was in his home and we were just chatting together and his wife brought the little baby into the room and said, she looks so bad. She, she kind of looked blue and, 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 uh, and very, very frail. Please pray. So, so we, we closed our eyes and I remember praying for Christina and, uh, and, and when I opened my eyes, she was pink. I thought, God, you've healed Christina. You've done it. And I went home to my non-Christian parents, my Christians, my parents were not interested in the gospel, and I said, Christina's been healed. We laid hands on her. A couple of weeks later, she died, and I thought, I'll never do that again. I'll, I'll never go near that. No. So, yeah, I'll stay a Christian, but I'm not getting out into dangerous territory again. I'm not going to step out on a limb. I'm not, I'll keep in the safe waters. It really, I actually said to my friend, I don't know if I'll ever feel I could trust God again. It was so devastating. And many of us have been through devastating experiences. We've tried, and it didn't work for us. It may be just in witnessing. Maybe, you know, you witness to somebody at work about being a follower of Jesus. And instead of them saying, can I? They just say, oh, boy, you're a really weird religious guy, eh? In the coffee breaks, you see them talking to one another, and they're looking at you, and they kind of back off you and think, wow, I thought this would be a good breakthrough. And it all went pear-shaped. Well, that happens. You know, sometimes you, you feel, perhaps I could prophesy, and you begin to say something, and it dries up on you. You think, oh, I'm never going to do that again. And, and we get into situations where I don't know if I want to try that again. Even relationships. You get into a relationship, you think, oh, this is lovely. I feel this is something God's doing. And then it all falls flat. And you think, ah, I'm not going to risk that. I want to stay in safe place. I'll be a Christian still, but I want to stay safe. And I think Moses is saying, no, no, send somebody else. And here's this extraordinary phenomenon. This burning bush, the voice coming out, it's holy ground, shoes off, on your face before God. Wow, this is God. And he's saying, no, thank you. And this man Moses, if he hadn't got through, you would never have heard of him. You know, Moses is pretty famous. But if this chapter wasn't in the Bible, you would never have heard of Moses. He had to get through. There were kind of chains around him. And that, that often happens to us. We're kind of invisible chains, really. We sang a song earlier in the meeting about he breaks every chain. 
That's our testimony. Jesus really sets you free. And it's not sort of up there. It's life, real life, where you feel, I'm limited, I don't want to do it. He can break that chain. I'd love to feel that by the time we finish the session this morning, there's kind of invisible chains lying around. Should we believe for that? Chains that hold me back. Chains that maybe would stop me ever doing anything for God because it's kind of dangerous. I don't want to go there. Moses, we would never have heard of him if he hadn't got through. And by the end of this chapter, he's through. He's on course. But at the beginning of the chapter, in spite of this incredible revelation, he doesn't want to know. So I would say the first reason would be, I've tried before. You remember the story? He was in the palace. It says in Hebrews 11, in the New Testament, it says, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It sounds ever so bold. In Hebrews 11, wow, what a choice. By faith, I'm not going to be seen as a young prince, the son of Pharaoh's daughter with a future. By faith, he refused it all and numbered himself with the despised Israelites. By faith. You think, wow, what a terrific thing. What an amazing one. I always feel Hebrews 11 gives such kind reports. I sometimes read Hebrews 11, I think, has God read the Old Testament? I mean, these guys who blunder and get it all wrong. And the Hebrews 11, it's like, what wonderful people they were. It kind of shows me what a gracious God we have. Because Moses, yeah, Moses made that choice, but what did he do? Well, it says that he was, he was mighty in word and deed. That's the testimony. He's a, he's a powerful prince. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said that Moses led an Egyptian army. As a young prince, he led an Egyptian army against the Ethiopians at Memphis and won a great victory. I mean, he's a powerful prince. And he's Jewish, and he's associating more with the the slave company. And he sees an Egyptian mistreating a, a Hebrew, and he goes out and kills him. He kills the Egyptian. Bang! And buries him and goes back in. He's got no plan yet, but he's kind of identifying with the Jewish people. He goes, what, what shall I do? I don't know, I'll kill him for a start. Gets back in the palace. The next day, he sees two Hebrews arguing one, with one another, fighting. You're, and he goes out and he says, your brothers, what are you doing? Kind of bangs their heads together. And they say, who made you a ruler over us? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? He says, oh, wow, it's his known about. I didn't think anybody knew. And he ran for it. He ran for it. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Look at the story. He's really blundered. He went out in his own strength. Young prince, do what I like, kill him, bang these dead. And they turned on him. Who made you a ruler over us? And he runs for it. And now he's been out in the wilderness for 40 years, looking after a few sheep. No more this idea, I'm going to deliver Israel. No longer identifying with them. He's married somebody else out there. Got a couple of kids. The whole vision's gone. And it's into that context. I'm sending you. I've tried before. I'm not interested. The second thing I think may be this. He's a bit bitter. What if they won't believe me? They didn't believe me before. My brothers, who I risked everything for. Turned on me. My own brothers turned on me. I used to be a prince. Now I look after a few sheep. 
I used to have riches. I used to have wealth. I used to have everything. I risked everything for them. They turned on me. I think there's a note of bitterness. What if they won't believe me again? You know, bitterness is a terrible killer. That's a chain that has to be broken. And some of us carry bitterness. And some of us may feel it's justifiable because he cheated me. Or they cheated me. And they're Christians. You know, sometimes people, people leave churches, ah, oh, dreadful people. And they're Christians. Said that against me. I was going to go into business with this guy. He ripped me off. He's a deacon in that church. When you've been a pastor as as I have, you hear all kinds of stories. Oh, they did this and they... And people, it's horrible. There's a lot of young people here this morning. Let me say to you, don't ever let bitterness remain in your heart. It talks about, in the Bible, it talks about a root of bitterness that grows up and spoils many. It's like you say to someone, how are you? And they tell you, oh, I wish I hadn't asked. It's kind of horrible unforgiveness, bitterness. But they feel justified because they were right. And maybe you do. Maybe you feel, well, it wasn't fair. Maybe you know, he led you on. You, he, I thought he was talking about marriage. He, I, I mean, you know, it just looked right. It looked right. He dropped me like a brick. And he's a Christian. Or she let me on. And I thought, wow, this is wonderful. And she went off. And, oh, that hurt me so much. And she's a believer. Did that to me. Sometimes you hear terrible stories as a pastor about what parents did. People open their heart one day and say, well, yeah, my father. You can't can't believe. Yeah, he did that to me. It's very hard to forgive him. But, beloved... You have to. You will never walk free until you forgive those who have acted against you. You'll never get into what God has. If you carry bitterness, it will enslave you. The funny thing is that if you won't forgive, you feel you're in charge. You feel, I'm justified, I'm right. He's wrong, they're wrong. They ruined me. I'm in the right. But you see, while you're holding it, you think you've somehow got control because you're not going to forgive, but actually it's got control over you. It's like a chain you're pulling around. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to leave this behind. But actually, it will tie you up. And here Moses is being said, come on, I've got a great thing for you. No, they may not. It's like this bitterness is still in his heart. And he needs to, he needs to leave it. Maybe you have. Maybe you have things in your heart, you find it very hard to forgive because you think, no, I was right. I was right. But if you won't forgive, you're not going to have a full Christian life. It's so important. Will you do it this morning? You know, we haven't come here by mistake. We're here in the will of God. Maybe God's speaking to you. Will you forgive? Yeah, maybe even your own father. Maybe some other Christian brother, sister. No, Moses had to forgive. Will you do it this morning? Shall we, can we leave that chain? Can we go out of here this morning saying, I'm leaving that. I'm going to walk out of here free. He breaks the chains, we sang. Let's not just leave it in the song. Let's put it in our lives. Okay, I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to carry unforgiveness any further. That's one of the things I think. There's resentment and bitterness. Don't carry those things. You'll never fulfill anything. Moses nearly missed the whole thing. 
The next thing I see in the story is a kind of passivity. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm looking after a few sheep. He's been doing it for years. We can be like that. We can say, that's who I am. That's what I do. That's who I am. I look after a few sheep. What do you do? What do you mean? I've got something for you. I look after sheep. And we can be like that too. We can be kind of passive. That's what I do. I remember when I used to commute to London every day, I used to catch the 7.37 in the morning. Now, that's decades ago. I can still remember 7.37. It's kind of scratched in my brain. That's the train I catch in the morning. It's from Brighton to Victoria to go to my job. And the 5.23 back. See, it's still there. It's like, that's what, who, who are you? That's what I do. I, I look after a few sheep, therefore that's who I am. That's what I do, that's who I am. No, no, no. God's got a wonderful plan for him. I look after a few sheep. That, that is not relevant because I am who I am. And I've called you. And I've had my eye on you since you were a baby. So that's the story of Moses. And that's the story of every believer. God's had his eye on us from the very beginning. And we may have gone through patches that make us feel irrelevant even. You know, get up in the morning. What shall I do this morning? Imagine Moses for 40 years. Got up, oh, there's a, there's a sheep. What shall I do? I think I'll take them around, take them around, put them back again. Next morning, oh, what should we do? I'll look after the sheep again. That's who I am. That's what I do. We can be like that. That's my routine. That's who I am. God says, I've got a plan for you. So I think that's another chain we have to break. Just feeling, well, that's, all, that's what it is. That's my life. When the almighty God, almighty God. You read about people like William Carey, an amazing, world-changing missionary to India. He was a cobbler. He made shoes. God called him. He, cha- he not only went, he changed the view of missions. Incredible things. He could have said, no, I look after I, I make shoes. We all did something. God came. He said, I can't speak. Interesting, isn't it? Because before, it says he was mighty in word and deed. That's what, he's mighty in word and deed. I want, I want you to go, I can't speak. It's quite funny, really. I can't speak, I couldn't speak, I can't speak since you've been speaking to me. And we talk about hiding. It's low self-image. Do you know, in a sense, it's part of God's program. This guy was a bit full of himself before. He was mighty in word and deed. Do you know, sometimes you're too strong for God. Too strong for God. I know I used to go to a, a Baptist church in Brighton when I got saved, and I was very backslidden, but they had a missionary week every year. And, and the missionary week, they, they had all these different missionaries giving their stories, and bringing along their stuff and showing their pictures. And, and the last night, there's a big speaker, and uh, they really sock it to you. And the young people said, I can't hold the pew in case they got called. And uh, uh, this year, they had a man called Stephen Olford. He was an incredible preacher. And uh, I got somehow bullied to be in the meeting. And I got there, and he preached. It was captivating, absolutely captivating. He said, who will go to the mission field? You know, I thought, wow. And all girls walked forward. So he said, where are the men? And I thought, I'm a man. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe God needs somebody. Because I felt church was quaint and a bit old-fashioned, needs changing. 
And we sang a, a song that really appealed to the flesh. Just as I am, young, strong, and free, to be the best that I can be. It really appeals to the flesh. And I can imagine Moses like that. Now, just as I am, young, strong, and free, bang some heads together, to be the best I can be. God says, thank you, Moses. See you in 40 years. <laughs> 40 years later, I'm sending you. I can't do it. He's called the meekest man in all the earth. Just what God wants. But I've heard God loves the weak and the people who are not very impressed with themselves. He has difficulty with people who are impressed with themselves. We can be too strong for God. It's difficult to be too weak for God because he chooses the foolish. He chooses the weak. And sometimes he has to put us through a process which sounds like he's kind of killing us off. But we may not trust in ourselves, but we might trust in God. Moses is going to have such a task ahead of him. Human strength would never do it. He's got to be in touch with God. And when you've kind of come to your end of yourself and God still calls you, you know it's God. And that took Moses right through an extraordinary life of ministry. It's the same with, with David. You know, it says in Corinthians, God doesn't choose many mighty, he doesn't choose many wise, he doesn't choose many noble. He chooses the foolish and the despised. And it actually says this, he chooses the one who is not. And we can't get any lower than not, can you? The foolish, the despised, those that are not. How can you be Not. It's interesting that Samuel, the great national prophet, comes to Jesse's home because he's been told by God the future king is, in, is one of Jesse's sons. And Jesse lines up his seven, I mean perfect number, seven sons. And Samuel kind of walks straight towards Eliab, who's big, tall, impressive, and God says, no, not the one. And he goes down the line, not one, not that one, not He goes, all seven. And he said, is there another one? Because God sent me here. I've been through all seven. Is there another one? And Jesse says, now notice, he says this, there's one looking after the sheep. He doesn't say, oh, David, my beloved son. No, he doesn't name him. He says, there's one looking after the sheep. There's one who is not. God chooses the one who is not. So don't write yourself off. Don't think, well, I've got nothing to offer. God brought Moses from being a prince, powerful, resourceful, and got him to a place where I'm unimpressed with myself. I don't think I could do anything for God. And that's what God, that's what God loves that. Because <laughs> you'll cling to him. You'll know he's got to do it. And that's the, that's the arrangement he loves. When we say, I'll do it, and maybe God will help me, I've got this vision. Are you interested in joining me, God? No, no, no. It has to be God's work. And so, yeah, Moses is being prepared. So can we leave that chain on the floor? The chain that says, I don't count. I'm a nobody. Closely associated with that is what I want to call extreme unworthiness. What do I mean? Well, I mean this, that not only kind of being humble, but sometimes using that in a way that makes me irresponsible. What do I mean? Well, he said, look, send somebody else. <laughs> Not me. Not me. 
I think sometimes we, we've almost uh, invented a doctrine without trying to. Let me give you some illustrations of what I mean. It's like I might say to the keyboard player, thank you so much, that was so good. And the keyboard player may say, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Have you heard that? You often hear that. It wasn't me, it was the Lord. You feel like saying, who played the wrong note? I didn't hear anyone. <laughs> it was the Lord. I did. Well, you know, it was good, but the Lord. I mean, <laughs> but people often say, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. You know, that is common. You often hear that. When you, when you congratulate someone, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. When I used to be at Bible college, we used to be sent out to preach in local churches. And uh, a friend of mine said this, because this is what happened to you. You go to this church, and a little body of deacons would take you aside. And they'd pray this prayer. And he said, if they pray this prayer again, because they pray this, Lord, hide the preacher this morning, we would see Jesus. I mean, it's a very popular prayer in those days. Hide the preacher. And he said, I would go out onto the platform, and I'd say, he said, I've had enough of this. He said, I'm going to stay. Let us pray. And he said, when they close their eyes and pray, he said, I'm going down under the pulpit. <laughs> He said, we see how we go without seeing the preacher. It's like, and, it's, and some of those wonderful old churches, and you get a wooden pulpit, sometimes it's engraved in there, Sir, we would see Jesus. Well, that's wonderful, really, but you put it all together like Jesus plays the piano, not me, and Jesus does the preaching, not you, and, and we build a kind of thought like you don't count. I heard a preacher whom I greatly acknowledge, actually, tremendous guy, but he used an illustration. I thought, no, it's wrong. He said, he said this. He's building up this case while he's preaching. And he said, God loves an invisible army. God wants an invisible army. Like an invisible army, okay? Why, what's he saying? He's saying he wants you anonymous. And everybody in the congregation goes, yeah, amen, amen. Invisible. What are you talking about? Well, Jesus plays the piano, Jesus preaches, and the army is kind of anonymous. Why? Well, God hates people. He'll do it all. You think, well, we didn't mean that, but you put these things together. Like, uh, Jesus plays the keyboard, Jesus does the preach, and want an invisible army. But that's not what the Bible says. Even though the people cheered, it's not what the Bible says. It says David had a great army. Uh, and you see the exploits. You know, one guy, he, he, he went down, a, he killed a lion with bare hands. Another guy went into a field, killed 300 people. I mean, their exploits are all there, and it doesn't say, it doesn't matter who they were, the names are there. God's interested in people. God loves to give you works that he's planned for you to do. It's not for us to say, no, God, no, it's, no you don't count. You do count. And if we're not careful, we put together this thing that yeah, I, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. I, 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 I'm, and the army, the whole army is anonymous. That is not biblical. God is unashamed to put names of all these. David's army is all named. All these incredible heroes. God doesn't say, I don't want any heroes, thank you. He puts them in. If he doesn't want, hey, praise God, let's tear those pages out. Who can pronounce these names anyway? Hallelujah. <laughs> What a gift to preachers. Let's get rid of all these dreadful names. But you get the same with the building of the wall in Nehemiah's day. You know, they built the wall. There's a name there. And they worked industriously. These did not. Oh, I see. Oh, you care. Yeah, that's why they have names. They have record. I'm watching them. They are not anonymous. 
God watches when musicians spend hours learning to play and get with a worship band and pray and prepare and choose and learn to work together. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. It counts. It counts. Thank you. People even now serving with the kids, not even in the meeting. People doing all sorts of things. It counts. They're not anonymous. They're doing it. You see, if we're not careful, we get to the place where, oh, anyone can do it. I don't, I don't want to do it. Let somebody else do it. It's interesting. A man called St. Ignatius of Loyola, he founded the Jesuit movement, okay? And he gave the church a famous prayer. And the prayer was this. We do all these things not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do your will. Well, that's a terrific prayer. He may, he may have said it out of terrific motivation, but it's wrong. We do all this not looking for any reward. One of the last things in the Bible, Jesus says this, I am coming with the clouds of heaven and the glory and the angels to give my rewards to those who serve me. That's what the, that's the whole book ends with this. I'm coming with my rewards. Jesus is coming on the clouds with his rewards because he's noticed, he cares. He wants to reward. I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, St. Ignatius saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus, hold on. Take a seat, Jesus. We have a, we have a higher ethic. <laughs> who's going who's to correct Jesus? I'm not volunteering. Jesus, I'm coming with my rewards. We said we're not interested. Boy, you missed the plot. <laughs> See, beloved, you put these things together. These little fragments, we don't think, well, it wasn't me, don't, not you, not army, no reward. It's like, write me off, I don't count. The Bible won't have it. It's wrong. And we can miss the will of God by taking that on board. But I think it doesn't matter. Not realising one day I'm going to stand before God. He's going to say, what did you do? Oh, no, it wasn't me anyway. See, it's just not what the Bible teaches. Looking for the reward. It says about the Apostle Paul, he says, my, my day is almost gone. I've lived my life. It's in 2 Timothy, it's like his last letter. I've run the race. I've finished the course. My end. No, no. Henceforth. What do you mean henceforth? You just said finished. Henceforth, there's laid up for me. Oh, you mean you're thinking about it? Yeah, that's laid up for me. You mean that's why you suffered all that stuff? Even in Hebrews 11, all these heroes of faith, often it's just looking for the reward. They went through all these things looking for the reward. Because God's going to give a reward. God's going to usher in a new age. And we won't be all anonymous people. We'll be people with a history and a record. And what did you do? And the, the parables are full of it. Full of it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, by the grace of God that was given to me as a wise builder, master builder, I laid a foundation. Be careful how you build. He says, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which is built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So we're not talking about salvation. We know salvation is not by works. 
He said it's not, it's, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about wanting to reward us for what we've done. And every one of us will have the fire test. All our works will be tested by fire to test the quality. It's like that the, the guy goes into the temple. Jesus tells the story. There's a, the rich man goes in with his rich gift. And Jesus is watching. I mean, elders, when you get a gift, the, the elders look the other way. Jesus doesn't. He looks. <laughs> Sees what he's putting in. Then the, two, the woman with the two coins, she hoping no one will see her, she puts in. It's like, let the fire fall. Let me give you an example. Let the fire fall. Because everyone's work will be tested by fire. Let the fire fall on that. And when the smoke clears, where's that man's gift gone? It's gone. It's not there. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, you can give away all that you own. If it's without love, it's nothing. God's interested in what I do and why I do it. It's such a bad, oh, well, it's not important, I don't do it. No, no, we've missed something so important. God cares about what we do, and he cares about why we do it. It was just the quality. And so, well, it's gone. And there's the two the women's two coins. Where's that? Oh, oh, wow, gold, silver, precious stone. There was a motive. There was a, a lot behind what she did. It's so wrong to say it wasn't me, it was Jesus. What we do counts. What we do will stand before God one day. The fire will test everybody's work, it says. And it says some will suffer loss. That's a scary word. But we will be saved. Because we're all saved through the blood of Jesus. Watchman Nee, the Chinese teacher, said this. It's almost like God gave us a white sheet that covers everything. We're saved, we've got a white sheet. Then it gives you a gold, uh, something you get embroidered gives you gold, you, you embroider on there. I want to reward you for what you do. That's what he's saying. He's inviting us to serve him. In the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 4, he says in verse 5, I don't go on passing judgment before the time, but wait till the Lord comes, who will bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. You know, the thing's hidden in darkness. You know, like, Terry, why did you go to Edinburgh in October 22? I think you can't see. <laughs> I can't see. He will disclose the things, the motives of men's hearts. Then, then, each man's praise will come to him from God. This is serious. It's no good saying, well, no, no. God wants, to, God wants to reward. God wants to, this is who you are, this is what you did, I want to reward you. No, and we're not looking for any reward. It's not like we're preoccupied with reward, but nor are we indifferent and writing ourselves off. We take ourselves seriously because God does. And so if you've, if you've been ensnared with that, it doesn't matter, it's somebody else. If you've been ensnared with that, can we leave that chain on the floor this morning? Can we say, I don't want to have that attitude anymore. I want my life to count for God. I want to take this seriously. The Almighty God's calling me. And Moses is nearly, hey, let someone else do it. He nearly missed the point. You would never have heard of Moses. But he got him through. I pray God get us through. I've been praying, Lord Jesus, let there be lots of 
chains on the floor here this morning. One more thing, one more thing before we finish this chapter. And the reason I, I read the whole chapter is because of this peculiar thing at the end. It says what he's got to say. He's got to go up and so, say to Pharaoh, let my, let my people go or I'll kill your firstborn. Then this strange, strange thing. Verse 24, now the Lord came, uh, it came about at a lodging place on the way. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What's that all about? Here's Moses. You know, he's, he's persuaded now. He can throw the staff down, it becomes a snake, picks it up, it's a staff again, you know, leprous, not leprous. Wow, here I go, I'm God's man of faith and action. And the Lord tries to kill him. What on earth is that about? The Bible doesn't explain, was it that they saw an angel with a a sword drawn? Was it that he was terribly sick suddenly and they knew it was the Lord? All we know is this, the Bible record is that God was going to kill him. What's that all about? Well, it's in the verse, what it's all about. His wife, Zipporah, immediately circumcised their son. And then the Lord backed off. What's that about? Well, I believe this is what it's about. Moses is the person most of all associated with law. In the New Testament, sometimes it says this, you trusted in Moses. It means they trusted in the law. Moses and the law... They're so integrated. He represents the law. (laughs) And thus far, he's only got one law. We haven't got the Ten Commandments yet. He's only got one law. What is it? You circumcise your boy. That's the only law there is. And he hasn't done it. So as God's law man, as God's man who's going to go to Pharaoh, says, thus says the Lord... Uh, Moses, back at home, back at home. Have we got two standards here? God says the Lord, but what about the Lord said to circumcise your son? There's only one law and he doesn't keep it. He's as good as dead. And Zipporah immediately circumcises the boy, immediately. And God doesn't even have to say what the problem is. He doesn't have to pinpoint it. When God drew near, they knew what the problem was. Anything in your life like that? If God drew near, we're back at home. Oh, we know we're here in church, we're worshipping, but is there something back at home? Yeah, but nobody knows about that. That's when nobody else is around. That's That's what I do when no one's... Yeah, but don't. You're wrecking your life. We don't want a public life and a private life. We don't want this, this is who I am, but back, no, there's this other horrible stuff that nobody knows about. We don't obey there. Moses, as the lawgiver, is as good as dead. And God didn't have to say what it was. Anything like that in your life, I don't have to guess what it might be. They immediately knew what it was. They knew they were guilty. Anything like that, you know you're carrying guilt. I want to invite you to put it to death this morning. Deal with it. See, Zipporah immediately circumcised the child. Immediately. Dealt with it. And she hated it. You're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said, because of the circumcision. 
I read out to you. In other words, he's married this girl. She's not a Hebrew. It may have been that the eighth day, on the eighth day, you're supposed to circumcise your boy. It may be on that eighth day, he was a girl. No, you're not touching my boy. And so to keep the peace, let it go. Sometimes that's what happens. We, we get into something, we think, well, what would happen if I, if I pushed this, if I did this, I, I could... You see, we get into compromise sometimes because we don't want to upset anybody else. And that won't do. They have to be ruthless. They have to deal with it. The Bible's like that, ruthless. If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pull it out. There's a ruthlessness about following Jesus if we mean the real thing. The real thing. When God starts to move, in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie about the money. God's pretty ruthless because things are starting off. God's going to do a great thing. God's hands upon you as a church. God wants to move in our day. He wants us in it. He wants us in on it. He wants, he wants to do something wonderful. It's so thrilling to hear about pastors across Scotland praying. We need, we need to see God do something. God's on the move. Don't find yourself, well, I, I would have been, but I, I had this secret thing. Will you deal with it this morning? So, I don't want that chain around me anymore. I want to cut it. I want to cut free. And I noticed this. It says, when they did that, and they dealt with it, God doesn't go on about it. Isn't that God? Isn't his grace amazing? He doesn't say, I told you about it. No, no, it's done. It's done. Once we repent, it's done, it's forgiven, it's forgotten. And it says this, Aaron went out to meet him. Aaron is the high priest. He's a kind of type of Christ. Jesus, our great high priest. It says he came to him and kissed him. I love that. I love it that when we get right with God, somehow Jesus draws so close. And he embraced him and kissed him. It's like, wow, I'm back with Jesus again in an intimate way. And then it says, then they walk together. Well, actually, that's Christianity. Walking with Jesus. Jesus comes pressing in again when we are wholehearted, when we're not holding secrets in. <laughs> Things that only, only I know about and God knows about. And God's about to do a great thing now. So Moses, you better deal with that. So, beloved, I said at the beginning, God wants to free us to serve him. And there could be chains of bitterness or I don't count anyway, all sorts of things. But I want to invite you this morning, hey, let's put those things to death. Shall we do that? Shall we say, wow, there's, wow we've gone out of here. There's all these invisible chains lying around. Would you stand, please, we pray. Lord, we just come to you right now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its penetrating power. And Father, we do ask you, in Jesus' name, that we might be free to serve you. That stories that may never be written if we don't get through this chapter. We think of that whole story of Moses. We would never have heard about him. Lord, you know what lives you've got here. Lives of huge potential. 
I do pray in the name of Jesus that you will win hearts. Won't you just draw near to him now? Won't you just talk to him about it? Whatever it is. Whether it was, well, he hurt me so much, Lord, it's hard to forgive. Lord, I tried before, it didn't work for me. Lord, I'm a nobody. I, I just look after this and that. Whether it is that, hey, there's something secret. Whatever it is, would you just say to God now, Lord, I, I just want to I want to leave this. I want to step out free. And, and I really believe it helps sometimes to literally, literally step out. I'd, I'd love to pray. It says pray for one another. Pray for one another. I want, to, I want to invite you right now. If you feel God's spoken to you, whatever the theme is, no one else needs to know what that theme is. If you know God's spoken to you, would you come and be prayed for? Just come. I'd love to pray over you. Just let's come stand here at the front. Just slip out of your row right now. So I want to take God seriously. I don't want to miss God. I don't want to miss God now. I've got a chance for a new start. Even if you're upstairs, we can we wait for you. If you're upstairs, just find your way down. Let's come before God. Would you come right now? Let's come before him. Let's say, Lord, I want to take you seriously. And uh, I'd like it if people would come and pray for those who come. If God's spoken to you, just please come right now.